Covenant 
Join me this morning in our prayer of invocation. Our Father in heaven, this morning we join with all creation in singing your praises. We gather as your people, called by your word to join in fellowship and unity, to sing and acclaim your wondrous works of salvation accomplished through Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Christ you have started your work of new creation in us as individuals, and in us as a people called to be your family. Although we were not worthy, you have shown us favor. Although we were dead in sin, you have made us alive together with Christ. We were destitute, without your law or promise, heartbroken and alone. Yet because of Christ and for his sake, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing flowing from your throne and you have gladdened our hearts and made us your special possession forever. Your faithfulness and holiness remind us that you bless those who observe justice and do righteousness at all times. However, we know that this has not been us this week. 
which is why we come once again to hear your word. Help us to hear the good news that we are accepted in Jesus. Help us to receive him once again through the sacrament by the power of the Spirit. Help us to not forget your works of salvation on our behalf. Help us to wait upon your counsel in guiding our steps and decisions. Teach us to not exchange your glory for the faded images of politics, possessions, and pleasures that make us doubt or even forget your promises of a future inheritance sealed to us by your spirit. Instead, remind us that you have provided atonement through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, who is risen, making for himself a people pleasing to you by our love for each other and all our neighbors. We pray in his name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, blessed forever. Amen. At this time, children are dismissed for children's worship. So at this time, we enter into our time of confession. We'll, we will sing and confess corporately, and then we'll follow by a time of silent personal confession. Let's, let's confess together. This is what God told his people. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You shall not mis misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We thank you for your word, but we confess we are not always careful with the words we speak, and our tongues cause us to stumble frequently. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in your likeness. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Lord, in your grace, forgive us. Our song of confession this morning is a conversation between the soul and the believer. If you'll sing the full parts with us. Come, my soul, and let us try for a little season. Every burden to this that cast you down? Who are those that grieve you? Speak and let the worst be known. Speaking may relieve you. Oh, I sing Sweating far from every pore to 
take this time to silently confess your sin before God. Merciful Lord, thank you for hearing us in our distress. Thank you for remembering your covenant faithfulness, forgiving us through your abundant mercy and steadfast love in Jesus Christ. We look forward to the day when you gather us from among the nations and show forth your full salvation. Until that day, grant to your faithful people pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please rise to uh, recite together the words of assurance that God forgives our sins. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. At this time, as Christ has welcomed us into God's family, turn to one another and welcome each other in the name of Christ.
speaks by Jesus' blood, here and sing ye sons of God. Justice satisfied indeed, Christ has full atonement to make. Jesus' blood speaks loud and sweet, here all deity can be. Without a jarring voice, welcome Zion to rejoice, welcome Zion to rejoice. Oh, her debts were cast on me, and she must and shall go free. Oh, her debts were cast on me, and she must and shall go Jesus' blood speaks solid rest. We believe and we are blessed. We believe and we are blessed. All the debts were cast on me, and she must and shall go free. All the debts were cast on me, and she must and shall go speaks with power all her debts were cast on me and she must and shall go New Testament lesson for today is from 1 John 3, verses 11 to 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The Gospel lesson is from John 13, verses 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Natalie, for reading from God's word for us. Um, it's good to be here and have a chance to, to worship together. Um, you'll see we're going to continue our, our fall sermon series, um, which at the heart is this, these promises that God gives us in Christ, that you are known and that you are loved. That you are known and that you are loved. These are promises that God makes to us in Christ. And as a way for us to, to wrestle with this and to receive it and to reflect on it, we have been looking at the early chapters of Genesis as a way to think about what is the human story and what is the story of humanity, and then also then how is God's story different? How does God bring a new story, a story of hope, into the midst of our story? So before I read our passage from Genesis 4, which is about Cain and Abel, uh, we're going to just take a moment to, to recap. It won't be too long. Just a moment to recap where we are. We saw in the early chapters of Genesis that in Adam and Eve, that humans, that you and me, were made to be seen. We're made to be known, to live in connection with God and with ourselves, with others and with creation. And Adam and Eve's relationship was summarized as that they were naked and unashamed. They were naked and unashamed. They experienced this longing to be seen and to be loved, to trust and receive help from a one who sees you. The last Sunday we saw a transition in Genesis 2 to Genesis 3, where the human story went from being naked and unashamed to naked and hiding. Naked and hiding. In the light of shame and guilt, we exchanged the hope of being known the hope of being welcomed or even forgiven for hiding, for covering and for an ongoing management of an appearance. 
the first humans doubted God's goodness and wished to decide for themselves what is good and right, and that desire brought separation that changed humanity forever. And today we'll see in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, the first siblings of Scripture. And in the story, we'll see that the first parents shared their shame, shared their shame and separation with their children. So let's look at Genesis 4. It's printed in your order. Uh, Verses 1 through 12, you can follow there or in your Bible. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. This is God's word given for our good. Well, as we look at this uh, passage, as we continue to look at this story of humanity, I want to ask two questions this morning. The the first one is, how does the human story continue in Cain and Abel? How does Cain and Abel continue that human story? That's the first one. And the second one is, how is God's story different? How does God's story bring us hope? So this first question, how does the human story continue in Cain and Abel? And we see right away that it opens by Adam saying Adam knew his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. With the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but this is a, stra- a little bit of a strange or an odd announcement. The, the Hebrew word here that Eve says is not for a baby, but it's for a mature man, for a grown man. Cain's name means to create, and it seems likely that what Eve is saying is, here is another Adam. Here is another Adam. Here is a second Adam. And if we could imagine maybe for a a couple that has experienced the sorrow of moving from security to shame, Cain embodies future possibilities. Their son embodies the possibility of a second chance. Things could be different for him. Adam and Eve have great hope for their son. He will overcome the liar. And this hope of overcoming this 
hope that things will be different this time is a key aspect of the human story, and I imagine it's one that we know well. You know, we learn that it will be different. Our, our children will do better than us. We'll have a new start and things will be okay. And Cain does have a lot going for him. He's born of the Lord. He's the firstborn, and culturally, that means he receives the inheritance, and he dreams of success. He follows his father's footsteps. He, like Adam, will work the soil. Things will be different this time. Later, Eve gives birth to another son, Abel. And Abel's name is the first hint that this is going to be a tragedy. Not a comedy, but a tragedy. The first hint of that hope of overcoming, that things will be different, is an illusion. See, Abel's name means breath. In scripture, breath is a way of talking about things that are quick to pass, things that are vulnerable. So the story fast forwards, and we're told that Abel kept flocks while Cain worked the soil. And this contrast is fleshed out in their worship and in their offering to the Lord. Cain brought some fruit from the soil, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord had regard, had approved of Abel and his offering, but had no regard for Cain and his and so we should stop again and ask, you know, why? What, what's happening as we try to understand the unfolding of the story? What's going on in this moment? It, it is mysterious, but I, I think if we look closely at the description of the offering, we'll get a sense for what's happening between Cain and Abel. Cain's gift is simply described as some fruit from the ground. His offering might be described as a token. You know, as a perfunctory or a symbolic gesture. Sure, an offering is given. Cain appears religious. He appears devout. But it isn't his best. And what we can gleam is that his heart is not in it. But Abel gives of his best choice cuts of the firstborn of his flock. Showing a sense of sacrifice and of dedication, of trust. In describing this offering in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews says that by faith, by faith in God, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Of course, God does not need our offering. In the Psalms, it tells us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need the offering, but it is in this gift that the Lord sees into our hearts. And so the Lord looked with favor on Abel, but on Cain he did not look with favor. And here we come to a really important part of Cain's story, maybe our story as well, is how does Cain respond this moment? He is very angry, and his face falls. It's downcast. Cain is angry with God, and he is jealous over his brother, his righteous little brother. And Cain is filled with rage, and his face falls. I don't know what comes to mind when you read that description. One of the things that maybe we can picture, maybe you've seen this, 
is that when a little child is embarrassed or is ashamed, often what he or she will do will, is cover, cover their eyes, right? If I can't see you, then surely you can't see me. It's not just children, though, that you know, long to disappear in these moments of being ashamed. Recently, I, I saw a soccer game where a player made a mistake and, in, in, and scored a goal in his, his own goal. You know, it's not a good thing to score for their team. And later on, he said all that he wanted was that there would be some kind of trap door that he could slide into in the middle of the field, right? That all these fans that were watching, he could somehow hide. No trap door, all he could do instead was pull his jersey up over his face. There's something about shame, about being exposed that has to do with our eyes. And in these ancient words, in ancient words, we see that Cain, his face falls. He is flooded with the shame of what has happened. And often in that ex moment, and, and maybe we've had this experience as well that we can think of, it either leads to this sense of wanting to hide, of, of disappearing, of, of sinking into maybe a depression, or it can be a flash of rage, a flash of anger to get those people away who are looking at me. We see here in this fundamental human experience, Cain is ashamed and he reacts with anger and his face falling. And God speaks to Cain. He speaks to the one who is hiding his face. And what I want us to see and understand is I, that it's in love, it's an invitation that God asks Cain a question, inviting him to turn his fallen face to him. We saw the same thing that God spoke to Cain's parents, inviting them, asking them after they were hiding, where are you? Why are you hiding? God did not wait for Adam or Eve to, to start looking for him. God pursued them, looking for them, asking them, where are you? And now he asks Cain, why are you so angry? Why has your face fallen? I hope that we can see that in this moment that God is being gracious to invite Cain to be honest. Inviting him to be found. Inviting him to the possibility that there's something more than his anger or his shame. But as the story continues, Cain does not trust that God's invitation will lead to life. And so God issues a warning kind boundary. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is the first time the Bible uses the word sin here in chapter 4. The word simply means to miss the mark, to, to aim at a target, but miss. But here we see that there's something much more powerful and deeper happening than just a mistake. Sin is personified as this violent animal, ready to pounce, a lethal force ready to ambush Cain. And his story, and, and in ours as well, we're reminded that deep power, deep forces are at work. The deceiver is ready to strike again, this time against Adam and Eve's firstborn. 
And God urges Cain to do what is right, but he nurses his anger and jealousy. You can almost even imagine him saying, whether to himself or outward, I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll prove things to be right. And so his reaction is one of hate, one of anger to remove the problem, to remove his source of shame. So what does Cain do? He says to Abel, let's go out to the field. And this reference in our passage about the field, it's not obvious, but it, it communicates the notion of being premeditated. He takes Abel away. He looks for a moment in which Abel will be away. There will be no witnesses. And while in the field, Cain attacks his brother and kills him. It's not an enemy. It's not a stranger. But in anger and jealousy, he kills his brother. And there are no witnesses except for one. God sees. Cain, where is your brother? Where is your brother? And Cain's response is, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain is asserting that he is simply and only responsible for himself. When he was born, Eve thought Cain would set things right. But now Cain has intentionally killed his brother and lied to God, continuing the story of guilt and shame. What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, the Lord says. And in judgment, God says that Cain will now be a restless wanderer on the earth. As a result of sin, that you will live apart, that you will be estranged separated from where you belong, from your very home. Here in Cain and Abel, we see the story of humanity. And maybe it's one that we can relate to, or at least parts of. But we also want to ask a second question is, how is God's story different? How does God's story speak hope into the story us and of humanity. There's a lot of things that we could say and a lot of different ways to talk about this, but, but one of the ways I want us to do this, to think about God's story, is to talk a little bit about Abel's blood. Abel's blood. It's referenced in the New Testament later on, but if we first think about Abel's blood in him, we feel the sorrow and loss due to human violence. Abel created, is creating God's image. He engages in the work that God has for him, caring for the good creation, shepherding his flock. He blesses God, and with an offering of his best, he honors God. Yet this image bearer, this worshiper, is hated and murdered by his own brother. The Lord said to Cain that Abel's blood cried out from the soil it affirms Abel's life, his dignity, and his value, that he's not forgotten. It calls out for God to hear and for God and all others, you including us, to see and to lament. It's a strange thing to think about, right? What, what, what might that blood be saying? What, what was the blood crying out? 
I imagine it's something of, a, of it proclaiming that I'm worthy. That Abel's blood would be crying out, I'm worthy of care. I'm worthy to be known and to be honored. We see in this moment, we have a chance to think about all who are mistreated. It, it might be you, it might be a neighbor who's near or far. We can think about whether it's ourselves or our neighbors, those loved by God, but used and hated and disregarded in this world. God sees and Abel gives witness. In Hebrews 12, we hear a description of, of Jesus saying that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's inviting us to, even, to ask again, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus' blood speaks something better, a better word? It's because Abel's blood, it, right, it reminds us, it, it gives witness to the violence of this world to how quickly we can be disregarded or how we can disregard or hate another. But Jesus' blood speaks of hope. It speaks something different, that there is something more than human shame or sin, human rage or violence. And if we can imagine what Abel's blood would say, we could also then imagine what Jesus' blood says. We, we sang about it just earlier, about it proclaiming that we must, shall go, we must be free. But throughout the scriptures, Jesus' blood proclaims, it proclaims things like, you are accepted in me. You are known and you are loved. You are purified from all your sins. You are declared one who was with God. I don't know what that experience is like for you if you've heard that proclamation. I can remember in my own life that the first time hearing this idea that God sees me fully, but yet loves me completely and has claimed me as his child, that it was like air from my lungs. It was like water, right, in a dry and weary land. That I could be seen. I could be seen because the one who sees me has loved me to the end. The blood says that there is in fact a second Adam it was not Cain, but Jesus, the man of heaven. And while Cain denied responsibility for his brother, Jesus identifies with us. And while Cain refused to offer brotherly love, Jesus loves us to the end, calling us brother and sister. There is an author named Diane uh, Sutterfield, and in, in one of her books, she, she has this image that when she's just trying to describe what it's like if you are flooded with shame, if you're flooded with being overwhelmed in this life. And the picture is of this woman that's in a, a, a rowboat, and all of a sudden the boat is flooded with water. And she tries to speak encouragement to herself, but what she finds is that she feels like all she has is little egg cups trying to push the water out of the boat. But her words don't seem sufficient 
to how much water has been poured upon her. I don't know if you've had that experience. Our words matter, and we should continue to speak them to ourselves. But isn't it good that we have another word as well? A word that doesn't start with us, but the word of Jesus' blood that proclaims that you are seen and known and loved. And that there is something more than your shame or more than your guilt or more than your mistreatment, but that God himself has claimed you. Jesus does not deny being our keeper, but rather affirms that he is, inviting us to turn our face to him. As we close, just a reminder that one of the things that we've been talking about is that in guilt, when we feel guilty, we've done something wrong, there's often a sense of control, right? We can go and we can seek out the, the injured party and we can say that we're sorry, that we can try to make amends, we can seek them. But when we are ashamed, when our face has fallen, we need someone to come and find us. We need someone to come and find us. Where are you? Why are you angry? I want you to hear this day that God is inviting you to be found. Inviting that he is the one that can turn our face to him and bring us comfort. The remedy of shame in the Christian life is not that we become perfect or we do everything right or we meet expectations, but we find our place in a community rooted in Christ, the one who sees us and knows us, a place that weakness is understood and acknowledged, but love is offered. This is the good news of Christ, and it is the way in which we begin to be brothers and sisters to one another, following the example of Jesus, not of Cain. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your good word. And we pray that it would speak comfort and life to us this day. Amen. invite you to stand with us as we respond with singing. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all
God, you have given your Son to patiently endure all things on our behalf. Therefore, it is good and right for us to join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. Uh, in the reading from 1 John, we're reminded that we are loved in Christ, that what love is, is that Jesus laid down his life for us, that we're not to love just with words, but in actions and in truth. And so this table helps us see the love of God in the bread and the cup, that Christ's body was broken, his blood was shed, that we who were far off by ourselves separated have been brought into God's family now and forever. This is the good news. It invites us to rest in God's love and to become people who share it with one another. If you know of your need before God, if you know what it is to be chasing things on your own or apart, and if you put your faith in Christ as the one who brings life and reconciliation, then come and eat and drink of this table. For in God's love, we're brought back into his family where we may live as his sons and daughters. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table, and we pray, Lord, that you would meet us here. Lord, we pray that you would nourish us by this bread and cup, that you would meet us with your grace in our shame and in our uh, sorrow, that you'd speak your love and forgiveness, that you would lift our heads, reminding us of who we are in Christ. We ask that you'd meet us in your grace, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're participating in communion this morning, I invite you to come down to the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup here and, and go back on the sides. I asked if you're able to hold the elements that you do so until everyone's been served and that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not uh, taking communion, I still invite you to come forward. Uh, you can receive a prayer blessing at the table. You just put your arm across your chest or offer a prayer blessing for you here. Those who are serving can come forward at this time. Let us receive the gifts that God has for us.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let's eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing as God's people. Lord Jesus, you are our salvation, our hope. You save the humble but bring low the proud. And your loving kindness is our refuge. Help us to trust you in all our circumstances as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will see a note in your order that we're going to have a just take a, a, a little bit of time for prayers of the people um, we're going to we do this on a regular basis as a chance to pray for one another uh, pray for our mission partners and then for our, our city and our world so and i just going to lead us in a time of prayer um, let us pray father we thank you that you've called us together and made us into a family and bless us with the privilege of bearing one another's burdens. Lord, this morning we ask that you rest your healing touch on our sister Terry Zimmerman. We pray that you help her with her vision, particularly that you help her regain the ability um, to read once again. We also pray for Laura Zhang, um, especially for her brother and his family in China and for their son uh, and the challenges and stresses of beginning high school. We pray that you strengthen and abide with the family as they navigate those new challenges and stresses. Um, we also join Joseph in his prayers for his brother and sister-in-law who have suffered in the fires that ravaged Lanai, Maui. We pray that you be with them and their neighbors as they rebuild their lives and community. Also, Lord, we pray for those uh, within our midst who seek employment. We pray that you provide them with the opportunity to use and share the fullness of the gifts that you have blessed them with. Lord, we thank you for the mission partners, um, both within our church and those that we support. We pray that um, you bless their work, um, that you give them fruit, um, and that you grow your body um, for the good of this world. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we thank you that you have placed us in this city and in each of our respective neighborhoods. We pray that you help us to reflect the grace that, and compassion that you have shown to us, to the people that we meet, 
as we go out and we come in in our daily work um, and tasks. Do not let our hearts grow callous to the cycles of greed and violence that envelop so many parts of our city and plague so many lives. Help us to see the hungry and be generous with our daily bread. Give us strength to mourn the death and violence and recognize each lost life as a rending of families and communities. Father, we pray that you give us the eyes and hearts to attend to the people that you place in our path to share your love and fellowship as we re have received it from you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we bring to you the myriad challenges that confront our world. We look upon the natural calamities that seem to daily befall some part of our earth, floods and fires, earthquakes and storms, and we feel our limits. We know our inability to care for and call forth the flourishing that you have ordained apart from resting in you and your provision. Father, we feel anguish as lives are disrupted because of the selfishness and lust for power of many political leaders. Lord, we pray that you might restrain the worst of those powers and in your time, humble them and restore justice and peace. As we wait on you, we pray that you help us to remember the many children, women, and men that have been forced to flee their homes and especially those that are seeking refuge in our city and in our neighborhood. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we rest our concerns, fears, and hopes, spoken and unspoken, at your feet and wait on your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, Adnazer. We're gonna continue worship through our uh, giving of our offering. And so you'll see and note uh, that there's a way to give uh, to the greeters, but also you can do so on, online. Um, invite the greeters to come forward. There's a, a, a basket, you can put your community cup in, a, a gray basket, and then also a, a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift, uh, like an offering uh, to God. Uh, just a couple of notes. Um, there is under the, the chair in the center aisle, there's a black uh, infra pad. If you're sitting there, I invite you to pick that up and fill it out. Um, record your thing with us and you can pass it down to know who you're worshiping with today. Uh, if you're visiting or joining us for the first time, we're really glad that you're here. Thanks for, for joining us. Uh, there is a time of coffee and bagels after the service. It's right out the doors behind you. You can enjoy uh, the, the nice weather and the, and the grounds here at the school. Uh, one other, a couple, of, so as, as the offering is received, uh, just a couple uh, announcements I want to highlight. We don't normally do announcements now, but I want to mention a couple things. Adam is going to talk about um, a class that starts next Sunday, the, the 1st of October. So Adam is just going to share a little bit about that. Okay, so um, next Sunday we'll start our fall Christian education uh, class. It's a four-week class. So it'll start next Sunday and run for the subsequent four Sundays. Um, it's a class on, on this book. It's called um, Savoring Scripture. And so we all know that we need to read the Bible. And so whether um, 
you've read the Bible for a long time or whether you're relatively new, um, we're all sustained and, and, in, and nurtured by the Bible. But we also know that it's something that's not always easy to do, um, whether it's because we're kind of intimidated by the Bible or maybe we've become a little too theologically comfortable um, or, or anything else. Um, there are challenges that prevent us from, from studying the Bible as we should. And so this book is entitled, this book in this class is um, intended to help us engage with the word and return to the word um, and find joy in the word. And so the class will start next Sunday, as I said, at 9 a.m. And we'll be in, I don't know what we're calling it, the, the teacher's lounge. Um, so it's kind of like in the doors back there. There'll be a sign if you come at 9. And so we'll be in the teacher's lounge. Um, and then not next Sunday, but the second Sunday, the author of the book will be joining us, and he'll be leading the class. Um, so that's a good opportunity to get it straight from the horse's mouth, as, as they say. Um, and so there are a couple books available on the back table. They're not required, but if, you're, if you kind of want to take a, like a preview of the, of the class or if you just want to work along with it, you can pick up a couple books. I think there's maybe four copies back there. Um, and then you can also just order them online, wherever, you know, Amazon and Christian Book and the rest. Um, and another quick announcement, um, on October 5th, there will, we're going to have like a little bit of our outing. Um, a professor from Covenant College, um, which is a PCA college in Georgia, will be coming to Chicagoland to do a presentation um, entitled, um, let me see what it's called here, The Art of Confession or How the Art You Don't Like Can Grow Your Love for God. So she's an art, art history professor at Covenant. Um, she's doing a talk at, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, um, but our own Taylor Worley is moderating that talk, and so he invited her to come join us. So we'll be going to the Art Institute, and she'll be walking us through some art um, that she'll be speaking on. So it's a little convoluted, so if you have any questions, you can ask me. But it's basically an art outing, um, and when Taylor's back, he can actually help you more because he knows more about art. Um, but if you're interested in, in going to the Art Institute, it'll be 6 p.m. on October 5th, which I think is a Thursday. So thank you. One other just reminder from before, um, there we, anyone that wants to grab lunch after church today, Gina, who's over here in the blue shirt waving, uh, she's going to uh, head over to Jimmy's Pizza Cafe. You can look for her up back at the back welcome table, but uh, it's a great place that's around the corner. So if you want to grab lunch together, uh, look for Gina after the service. Let's, uh, let's stand and uh, give thanks to God by singing the doxology together. Praise, Praise God, God from Blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy
love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.